Hi, and welcome to Third Waves. Third is a platform that amplifies underrepresented voices through print, events, and on the airwaves. We interrogate the intersections of culture and activism, bringing you interviews and discussions with guests who have knowledge and lived experience on the topic at hand. I am Daniela. I'm a writer, musician, and producer. I am Tribe, DJ, radio host, and music editor at Third. I am Rona, stylist, creative director, and founder of Third. On this episode, we'll be discussing the impact of the pandemic on the arts venues that have had to close during the lockdowns and what performers and creatives are doing to stay afloat. Talking to us about some of these issues is Max Golfer, who works for Hootenanny, the venue in Brixton, as a music and events manager. He is a working DJ under the alias of Fizzy Gillespie and runs the event brand and label Swing and Bass. And before we start, we have some exciting news. As many of you know, Third Waves is part of Third's wider platform. And at the very core of this is our print magazine. We are in the very final stages of producing issue five, Defiant Beauty. But before we can bring this all to you and the rest of the world, we need your help. We are doing a pre-order crowdfunding campaign to raise 5K and help us go to print. Please head to Indiegogo, type in third and pre-order your issue. You can also find out more about the other amazing perks we're offering, one of which is to feature on this podcast. So obviously we've had almost a year of lockdowns, you know, with the venues and spaces opening and closing according to the pandemic and the numbers um, in the UK and around the world. Um, And although the pandemic has affected so many communities in so many ways, uh, whether that's personally or, you know, whether that's education and plans for the future, it has uh, affected sectors such as the music industry and venues and communities that would normally kind of get together and be creative Uh, and the arts is definitely one of those um, sectors that relies on the meeting of people to um, engage in the arts whether that's in person or um, through festivals and things like that and so I thought it would be a good one to talk about today because it's so easily overlooked how so many artists and creatives haven't been really able to make a living in the way that they would normally have over the year. And unfortunately, quite a lot haven't been able to gain access to some of the um, furlough schemes because, you know, they don't necessarily qualify. So I thought it would be good to kind of discuss that. I know me personally, I have definitely been impacted to some degree um, as a DJ, not be able to go to clubs and, and DJ and have my outlet like that. But I've been fortunate in many ways to do other things. But I know that many of my friends in the community haven't had that chance to kind of do other things and, and really kind of get by during the pandemic. 
Yeah, Tribe, I have a question for you. As you say, you do many different things, but one of the things you do is DJing. Yeah, I just kind of wonder, like, you know, obviously now we've had three separate lockdowns and there was a moment where things sort of opened up a bit and there's also, more recently, people have adapted more to doing more online things. And I just wonder if you could tell us a bit how that's looked like and how that's affected you in between these different lockdowns. How has your DJing activities um, changed? What I thought was quite interesting was at first there was this huge momentum where everyone felt like, you know, the party doesn't have to stop. We just will take it online. And there were so many parties online and it was amazing. Um, just engaging in um, nights where there'll be people from around the world who wouldn't necessarily be able to come to the venue in person. But now because of this virtual space that has been created you know, I'm seeing people pop up while I DJ who's from Mexico and, you know, the US and um, the, the whole of the Caribbean. And it, it was really nice. But I do think um, somewhere just after the summer, there was a bit of a fatigue, a Zoom and Google Hangouts and all of those platforms. Everyone just got tired of it, you know, especially let's say if you're working from home to go from one screen to another. Um, and the energy is not quite the same when it comes to, there's something about festivals and live performances and, you know, um, DJing and nightclubs where you're around so many people and there's a bit of an energy that kind of goes around being around so many people. And it's not necessarily replicated when you're having those virtual sessions. So I definitely did feel the impact once we started to kind of get in, get a bit um, tired of all those Zoom sessions and then there was that hope a little bit towards a December where things started opening up again and, you know, um, Boris Johnson was promising our Christmas. And uh, I did get a few DJ gigs come through and I was absolutely excited. And I did kind of play a few places, uh, even though they were socially distanced and the energy was different. It felt like an, uh, that things were returning back to normal again. But obviously that did not happen uh, for long and it quickly closed. So it's, for me personally, it's been a bit of like a lot of false starts and a lot of hopes in different ways. Um, but it would be interesting to hear uh, you, Rona, how has it affected like the fashion industry? And especially we've just had a London Fashion Week just happen in February, I believe. And obviously under these conditions, something that would have been a moment to showcase talent in various ways, whether that's the models or the new designers. How, how have you observed that? Yeah, I would say similar to you, I have seen a lot of like inventiveness in that. Obviously, a lot of people haven't been able to do physical shows. So even the big brands have been using very creative means, you know, like video games, virtual reality, short movies and stuff like that to show their collections. So it's definitely like a different way of approaching things. But I think if I was to think about maybe the process and what I could see the process has been like in the industry for people like creators, people like myself who are like fashion stylists and et cetera. I think the first lockdown, it was a complete and utter halt in everything because you were just like, what is this? And uh, what are we going to do? How are we going to overcome it? And I think similar to you online and the virtual world has definitely provided a sort of anchor in all of this you know, there's been obviously like a high dependency on online because of that. But I can't 
claim that I think the fashion industry has been impacted in the exact same way that I think people who work more physically within art and creative spaces have been affected just because, you know, fundamentally we still sell products as opposed to most of us. I mean, I sell a service, so maybe I'm conflicting myself there, but I think if you are an actor or you are a musician, I mean, even just someone who works in one of these venues, what you have had by now is a year of not really being able to do that kind of work. And I think it's really important that you've put out there, Tribe, that it's not only, there's not only been a pressure felt on the level of that sort of connection you just have to people when you're allowed to do stuff in physical spaces, but I guess there's also like a mental toll that comes along with this sort of like not knowing and being promised stuff and having things retracted. And also, I guess the biggest thing for a lot of places has been the financial burden they've had to take on, which, you know, now we have a date for opening up and we've been told in June, June the 21st, I think it is that we, we might be able to go in party again. And I'm sure when everyone heard that news, like for me personally, I can say there was like this feeling of elation and it was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'll be able to do that. I'll be able to hang out with my friends. I'll be able to dance again in a club. But I'm also very aware of the fact that, you know, things could change as they have. Also, it has, it will have been over a year by that time of a lot of places being close. So there is a question of who actually has survived this period. So that takes a tiny bit of the jubilation away, I'd say. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I do remember there was a period online where you're just seeing almost like obit- obituaries for venues <laughs> that have closed. And it was like heartbreaking, you know, some major ones in London that, you know, you would have memories with, you know, having nights there and stuff. And that's going to ex- affect the landscape, whether that's jobs, you know, and um, whether that's another space that people, again, would have their outlet in the week- on the weekends. Um, so, and I, I definitely remember over the summer seeing quite a few, basically seeing quite a few redundancies from cultural spaces, which we all love and look to as um, for our arts, our, our art, our entertainment, and etc. Just doing like mass redundancies. So, f- say at the Tate, for example, they got I think it was a one million bailout from the government. I could be wrong, but I know it would have taken like ten percent of that to have covered some of the workers who they made redundant their salaries for the year and, and they just chose to go the, the other way. I think the situation has been sorted now between those workers and the tape, but like there were massive protests that happened during the summer because of that. And similarly, you know, the South Bank Centre, which is another place which I believe got government funding, let go of over 300 members of its staff. And so, though I guess a lot of these recovery funds have attempted to lessen the blow, I think not all of them have necessarily saved the people who we actually see or we connect with these spaces um, 
almost like the frontline representatives of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I think that's one of the things that has been, I guess, exposed when it comes to, um, I guess, the arts in terms of like, I remember seeing some statistic about how much a pound would circulate from a live music venue, you know, in terms of like, whether that's someone buying a drink but or, or security or the sound tech or, you know, all the people who have the stage management, there's so much that goes into it that so many people are employed by. And as I mentioned earlier, not all of them would necessarily meet the criteria for furlough. And it's the same with DJing. It's very rare where you have contracts, you know. It's a lot of, like, pay-as-you-go kind of service. So it's a shame because um, the arts bring so much to the UK, and yeah, and, and bring so much value to the UK, but yet it's very hard to quantify. And so in moments like that, it's very hard to really pinpoint how, how much we should be putting into making sure it survives and weathers the storm. Hmm. I think also, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was that really patronizing campaign that the government did, I think, in the summer last year where it had the ballerina. I just remember the one with the ballerina and she's like tying up her laces and she's called Fatima. Um, And there's a lot going on with that campaign, image wise anyway. But the whole message was like, you know, divert, like I need to find the phrase, but it was literally like, if this isn't working for you, try a second, second opportunity, like try a second, uh, a try tech or something. I think that was the message behind her campaign. And it was almost laughable because to a certain extent, it was just like, you obviously have no understanding to how like a lot of people in the arts actually work anyway, in that they would have multiple jobs um, just to sustain that main passion that, that they want to one day make the main source of income. But yeah, it was just kind of a testimony to how little maybe we like people or the government if I just want to say honestly was thinking about what people actually need and a lot of these people who maybe if they did have second employment their other second job might be retail and that could also be like a short-term contract and So it was all just messed up. And it's not like you go from that working in that space to suddenly one day deciding you're going to be a coder, you know? The title behind the campaign with Fatima was Fatima's next job could be in cyber. She just doesn't know it yet. Rethink, reskill, reboot. It almost like, there's almost a part of me that's like, it's maybe like well-intentioned, but completely fucked up nonetheless. Um, And it's almost like, also, when Boris Johnson first, the, his first sort of address to the public about the pandemic, where he just came out and was just like, oh, I'm going to level with you. Lots of your loved ones will die. Like, that was one of the first things he said during the whole thing. And it's like, and and it's almost like an a very unfortunate confession of what the government thinks about the sector. There's, on the one hand, it's almost like semi-well-intentioned, but even with the ballerina, it's like, how long it takes dedication and years of training for someone to fucking become a ballerina and tell them, yeah, why don't you just retrain? I don't know. I agree. Um, it's an interesting campaign because all of, like, as you were talking about casting, like all the people who feature in these posters are working in, like, 
uh, either like there's like a barista, there's like a construction worker, there's someone who's like stacking shelves, and it's like this push towards, I guess, like coding slash like techie jobs. But it just feels like it's ticking so many boxes, right? Like having the name Fatima next to someone who's like in the R's, aka like never going to make enough money to support themselves. And like this patronizing thing, yeah, in brackets, like she just doesn't know it yet because she hasn't thought about it. And now we're going to like just give you this idea. And it's just, yeah, pretty patronizing. Actually, I've, I've just seen online, there's like some memes with like famous artists, like Wolfgang as in like, and then it's a picture of Mozart, like Wolfgang Mozart. And it's like, Wolfgang's next job is in cyber. Like, imagine if we didn't have Mozart. It also, like, I think a lot of people complained because it was just like, Fatima is a very, I've never met a ballerina called Fatima. Not to say she's not out there, but if we're talking about most ballerinas out there, if you want to speak to the ballet community, I think you chose the wrong casting and the wrong name. So, So what are you really trying to say? Yeah, a lot of people were quite offended, even just on that level. Yeah, I agree with you. Maybe it was well-intentioned, but yet again, a lot of people who work in these these spaces already have sometimes second yeah, jobs 100%. to support it. So. <laughs> mm, mm, it's true. Some people have uh, dedicated their whole lives to put, uh, being a specialist in a particular art. And then for something as random as a pandemic to kind of shut that all down and then for the government to say, oh, we think you should retrain. It is quite a difficult pill to get your head around. I'll never forget seeing like some amazing DJs like halfway through the year posting pictures of them doing Uber Eats and Deliveroo and stuff like that. And I'm just like, man, you know? Uh, Yeah. But it also speaks to the nature of like, like I said, in a lot of these industries, we don't have contracts. There's no unions. There's no things that really kind of supports people through moments like this. Another thing that got exposed in terms of the arts as well is uh, of Spotify. There was already a a large conversation about the the value of music and and this fits into the value of the arts anyway. But because Spotify pays or their whole system pays artists so little, you know, more and more increasingly artists have relied on live music to get by and sustain themselves. And once that had all shut down, um, it really exposed how little we value music. And that's why there's a lot of conversation around that right now. So in some ways, I think it does bring up a lot of difficult conversations about how we have been um, valuing arts. But I do think a lot of these conversations are going to still go on unresolved, I guess, um, because of the way that the government uh, has been handling it in some to some degree. But I do appreciate the fact that there is schemes out there like the Arts Council and stuff giving money. But you're right, Rona, I do believe um, there's a larger question to ask about where that money's going and how is it being used. Yeah, like just to reiterate, I obviously do think these schemes have been amazing. And I'm sure for a lot of spaces and places, that's been the thing that's allowed them to continue. It's just acknowledging the fact that a lot of people may have just been left at the margins. 
Yeah, and also let's not forget, like in terms of where that funding goes, you were talking about like the, sp- the specific institutions that the money goes to. But in terms of the volume of of recipients, I read on the BBC that you know the Art Fund, which set up this emergency response fund, um, they were able to fund fifteen percent of the applicants, right? And if anyone's ever filled out an application for the arts fund like the arts fund it's uh, like it's a huge application and only the people who are like extremely organized are are the people who will be applying to that fund so will be coming from a background of like already having a certain level of experience okay maybe there's some people who just like you know put in an application willy-nilly but like I would just hazard like an uneducated guess that just from experience it's a self-selected group of people who are like very already organized and of those people if only 15% of them are receiving the funding I just found that percentage very very telling of like how much money is available and goes to people who need it yeah and another thing that I came across in my research um, around this topic is Something that was like quite interesting in the way that I kind of found it. I'm just going to walk you through this. But I came across this organization called um, the International Network of Contemporary Performance Performing Arts, the IETM. And um, it's, an, it's a network of over 500 performance arts organizations across the world, right? So that, that encompasses theater, dance, circus, performance, blah, 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 blah. And it's funded by it's co-funded by Creative Europe of the European Union. So as institutions goes, and this is the first time I ever heard about this, but as institution goes, it looks like quite epic. Um, and I first came across this like PDF that they did, which was like a survey of all of their members' response to the pandemic or to the lockdown situations. Um, and there was one that was dated March 2020 so that would have been like early last year sometime and then there was another one in December 2020 and it's very interesting how the the sort of the takeaways in these two documents are different because obviously in March it was still very early days whereas by December like that whole year had passed sorry I'm really teasing this up but the the thing that really struck me is that like of the five takeaways that they put in the March document the first thing that comes through is supporting artists means rescuing the entire performing arts ecosystem. So it's almost like this desperate cry from the community of like, are you guys fucking kidding? This is fucked from the beginning. Like, it's not just because of the pandemic. We already knew the problems. There are so many problems. The pandemic is accentuating this, but it's not that these problems didn't exist in the first place. Um, yeah, so I found that really interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. And I I think it also speaks to the issues we've had even within London in terms of many venues being turned into housing and and being closed anyway. You know, that's the whole reason why the mayor created the, the, was it the nightclub czar or something like that? So as you said, Daniela, there have been many issues with um, venues that have been ongoing and this whole pandemic has kind of exasperated it. Um, So but at the same time, I would like to think moving forward that it does provide a scope for us to really evaluate what needs to change and how we can do things different. And that's what I'm hoping. Partly some of this discussion coming up with Max will open up, but also on a wider scale in all the communities that are being affected and on the governmental level. 
Sorry, Daniela, did you say that in October it was quite different? Um, so the first document was dated in March, um, yeah. so only a few months into the year last year. And then the second one is in December, so right at the end of the year. And the, the documents are not the, – yeah, the, the size of the documents are really different. So, like, the last one, the, the December one, obviously, like, people have, you know, done a lot more research and talked to a lot more people. And – yeah, what does what are the main takeaways in the March one? The main takeaways: supporting arts means rescuing the entire performance arts ecosystem. That's like point number one. Um, number two: performing arts are hit hard. Their international aspects are under particular pressure. Um, I guess that really ties in with touring as well, like international touring and stuff like this. Number three: the frozen link with audiences is as detrimental as economic losses. Number four, bottom-up solidarity is enormous and tangible. Number five, live component of performing arts must remain alive, even and especially today. Um, which is like such a poignant line, I feel like, because at that point we don't, like in March, you know, it's still quite early days. So, but like that, I think people are already predicting the kind of, if we just put everything onto digital or et cetera, it's like, that doesn't, that's not. Yeah, part of it is the experience itself, and you can't recreate recreate that digitally. Um, another, I think, thing that's quite interesting about this pandemic is the fact that it is a global one. So it's not just um, you know what's happening in this country; it's also like you said, touring. And I, I wonder. I mean, <laughs> considering that we've got one of the highest rates in the UK, and other countries are getting back to normal. Maybe maybe by the time we get out, you know, we will be able to just roll right into just traveling and touring again. But it will, we will definitely have like all our, you know, our eyes open in terms of like how dependent we are on each other in order to kind of keep that kind of aspect of uh, the arts open. Because it's, you know, the arts isn't necessarily just what happens in the UK. It's, it's a conversation. Um, yeah, that's something that really came through in that um, those documents as well. And interestingly, another point in it was saying that like um, people need to talk to each other kind of globally and learn to like help each other and everything. But one thing very important is that people are like these different countries are not in the same boat. So um, like this is in quote marks, like we need to sail forward, um, resist this inward looking tendency and strive for a next level of international conversation that is interlocal, connecting our local realities across borders, um, which is, is, yeah, basically exactly what you're saying. Um, but there was another line that I read in this, which I just find, again, like very poignant, which is like, as you were asking, Rona, the December document is much bigger, so I'm not like going to go through all of the takeaways from that. Um, but like one of the ones that I found really poignant was, like saying, um, while policymakers must support the change, it is up to us to conceive it, which is in a way quite empowering, being like, you know, just kind of suggesting that the future is in our hands, like conceive of what this new world can look like and policymakers can support. And I and I see where that's coming from. But yet at the same time, it almost just feels like when you're in an abusive relationship, you have to come up with like how not to be abused. And get that approved by the person who is abusing you. I mean, on the other side, um, one of the things that I kind of find inspiring is that I guess in the late 80s, early 90s, when there was such a gap in 
clubbing venues and what appealed to the masses, what many people did was just take to the fields and under bridges. And, you know, they had the, was it the summer of 89, acid raves and all those kind of things. Like, I feel like people find ways to make do and make things for the people. I agree with them on that sentiment. We're going to find ways. So I don't think people are going to necessarily take it lying down, whether it's the next 17 year old who's just about to turn 18 and he's like, no, you know, no way. Or if it's a woman who's like a veteran who's been doing it like 40 odd years and she's like, nah, like I'm going to help out these people. You know, it's going to come from random places, but I feel like it's going to bubble underground and, and have to be recognized above ground eventually. Yeah. Didn't they say in China that when um, they first open up stores, there was like a revenge buying period? I really have a feeling that there's going to be like a revenge partying season that happens in the UK. Just because like with everyone I've spoken to, like it's literally just been like, I cannot wait to like dance being a sweaty, all the things that you thought you hated about clubs, like the drinks on the floor and people's sticky bodies. Like I've never had such things described so beautifully and with so much yearning before in my life. And so I literally just think like, it's just going to like people, everyone's just going to become 18 again. Yeah. Yeah. And I do feel sorry for the 18 year olds who, you know, last year or would have been their freshest year or something like that. I do hope they do get some of that recovery time back and pay for it double. Um, and I agree. I would like to, I know there was moments in our history. I always refer to apparently, do you know, Charles II, when he was coronated, um, like he had like wine flowing from the fountains and stuff like that. And there was just loads of street street parties. I want it to be like epic level, like this debauchery, just kind of, you know, where it starts off really tamed and then it just gets out of hand. Not that we smash things, but, you know, we really explore or make up for lost time. I'm rooting for it. Yeah, one can only hope. <laughs> So, hey, Max, um, glad to have you on the show. Happy to be here. And thank you for agreeing to be on the show. Um, obviously, we've worked together, you know, through the DJ scene and all that kind of stuff. And we've had some amazing conversations about, you know, the effect that COVID has had on um, venues and the music industry and live music in general. And I um, wanted to get you on, want to hear your perspective and your input. So, first of all, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself for the audience out there who don't know. Okay, uh, my name is Max, and uh, my sort of my main thing really, I guess, is I work for Hootenanny Brixton as their music and events manager. So that sort of consists of me uh, working as a promoter, programmer, doing a lot of their marketing and advertising, uh, and sort of um, being sort of a point point of call for the venue. Uh, I also uh, run an event brand and label called Swing and Bass, which is about sort of 1920s to 70s music remixed into a modern style. Which oh, sick. Turn, probably make, uh, you know, the people from the past uh, who we sample turn in their grave. <laughs> yeah. Is it but, a bit like uh, Electro Swing? It, it, it sort of came from uh, a liking electro swing but wanting something more from it mm, uh, okay. so we do like we do like swing and funk with like drum and bass and jungle and that sort yeah. of thing 
Um, and then other than that, uh, what else is there to me? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a DJ under the, the name Fizzy Gillespie. And yeah, I'm a part-time beat maker as well. Nice, nice. Um, how did you get into all these stuff? Like, what was the first step in your journey? I think probably a, a couple of experiences jumped to mind, but I think it was going to an event called White Mink. I think it was called White Mink. Uh, that was an electro swing event, actually. And uh, yeah, I remember just being really inspired by it. And then I kept going to, I went to electro swing club in, in Shoreditch, uh, like every single month it was on. And then... And then I think Glastonbury, into, yeah, Glastonbury went to that and it kind of gave me that experience of, oh, wow, there is something a bit more to this uh, events and uh, music world, that sort of community feel. And I think really it was that community feeling which inspired me. Uh, like, uh, do you know someone called Chris Tofu? No. Do you know him? Well, he he's a, he's an amazing programmer and promoter, and he um yeah I took a lot of inspiration from him. Uh, and he uh, he was someone who gave me my first ever gig, uh, first ever industry job. Uh, he was the guy who uh, ran Electro Swing Club and was a real pioneer for pushing that kind of sound in the oh, UK. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's it, really. Just sort of. Glastonbury and going to some events. I actually, you know, I've got one more I should mention, which uh, is uh, the guy who runs Swing and Bass with Dan. His name's Dan Smith, and he he ran a party with uh, his lovely girlfriend Alice and some other people as well uh, called Purple. And that was one of my first experiences of going to a club night in a city like London, where it didn't feel like your typical club night. I got there. Everyone was coming up and saying, hi, how are you? Don't know who they are. And people just being incredibly friendly. Everyone's like saying hi to everyone. Everyone's dressed in like their, their funky clothes and no one gives a shit. And it was like, wow, this was one of the first experiences. I was like, that festival vibe can be in a city as well. You know, that friendliness. It's not about looking cool or any of that bullshit. But yeah, it was just proper community feel. And everyone yeah. was friends with each other. And it was... It was a really special, you know, type of event, and I think I was I was very inspired by that uh, uh, that that night, and I still am very inspired by Dan and his whole ethos. So yeah, I guess it's those those types of events. I think it's hard to say any one thing, but those things I mentioned, I think, really in, inspired me. Um, and so, how did you how did it land your I guess your journey into working for Utenani? Um, well, I, that came about because I was working for Continental Drifts, uh, who, uh, which is Chris's company. And uh, I was doing their events at Hootenanny, uh as part of my job there. Uh, and so I was working with the venue for about uh, a year freelance and, uh, and the parties were going uh, really well there and they just invited I think they were inviting all their promoters in just to sort of give their thoughts and one day I was speaking to them I just said I love the venue I think you could do x y and z to make it better uh, at this time I, I had left Continental Drifts and was 
looking for a job and then they were like, do you want to come in for another meeting? And they were going, like, oh, we liked your ideas. Do you want to, oh, wow. want to try, like, actually implement them? Uh, so I was quite nervous, to be honest with you, because, uh, you know, my ideas had, you know, they were applicable to my own events. So I was like, yeah, these work for me. But I was like, can this work for a whole venue? Well, I guess we're going to find out. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I got offered another job uh, at Soundcrash at the time. Uh and I don't know if you know who they are, but they're, a, um, they're sort of big London promoters. Uh, and they do lots of big shows with some great artists. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's an amazing company to work with. Uh, but I would have been, you know, much lower down the ranks. Um, and I thought, you know, actually better idea to be in a, a smaller company, but higher up and have a bit more control and freedom. And I'm very glad I did join because it's gone uh, <laughs> remarkably well <laughs> all things considered yeah. uh, I was wondering because you, you said like you had ideas based on the events and nights that you threw and you wanted to kind of apply them to the venue how did you find that transition did it work did those ideas could they be adapted in that kind of setting the first six months were were very challenging uh you know, uh, trying to sort of implement these ideas and trying to work through things. It was one of the most difficult things I had to do those that first six months, especially trying to, you know, get my feet. The start of 2020, before all this kicked off, was actually one of the strongest months, you know, the strongest starts of a year the venue had had. And we were mm-hmm. doing regularly over a thousand people gigs, which was great. Um, and the venue was on a real up and, you know, the online presence of the venue is growing. Um, this month is actually, even though we're closed, this has been one of the best months for venues online growth in, oh, nice. in years. Um, I think we've had like new, over like 5,000 new followers just this month, which is amazing. Great for, for yeah. being closed as a venue. Um, but it all, I think the, the ideas all worked. Obviously, I had to to uh adapt them and you know i think with that's part of promoting is that if things constantly change and you kind of have to uh, you know you have to be constantly adapting and things seem to be you know what my idea was three months ago and my strategy three months ago couldn't change with it like that you know because you've got to constantly adapt someone's algorithm on some site's going to change or suddenly the interest or shift in certain artists change um yeah, I hope that answers your question. I don't ramble on too much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a question. Um, so, uh, in looking into this whole topic of like how uh, the lockdown and the pandemic is affecting venues and etc., one of the things that I've come across is people saying, "Oh yeah," like some venues are like, "Oh yeah, we were kind of like thinking about digital presence or like digital events before." This has obviously been a real like real accelerator, and like, holy, we need. To- really look into this now and it's just it's fascinating to me that like a live venue like yours has had such a growth I mean it makes sense that there's been a growth online I guess but like having 5,000 new followers in one month without actually live events for a venue I this is boggling my mind are you guys doing lots more digital events um and how is that going and is, do you think that like you guys sort of jumping on top of that is what's propelling you guys having loads more followers in these lockdown months? As you were saying, like how some venues were looking at this beforehand, before all this kicked off, we, final enough, we were actually in quite a good position because we had been planning to do this before 
before lockdown had happened and we we had all the cameras and everything in place and we had we had actually started filming for about two or three weeks before lockdown happened and so we had we had literally just begun and we uh, we had only done a couple videos and it was filming of like the live gigs which oh my god are heartbreaking to watch right now we're watching back quite a few times you look at the ram the ram through be like it, it, it gets you it get it's the feels um but yeah we had just started doing that and we kind of knew we wanted to go ahead with sort of doing an idea of like filming people and when lock the first lockdown started I just started doing stuff in my bedroom and like getting friends to do stuff uh, as well from their homes. And we did stuff for charity. We did streams for charity and we, we ended up raising a good few thousand pounds for a couple of causes, um, which was great, really positive. And then we like, right, well, we haven't got much else to do for the venue right now. Why don't we just put, uh, you know, put our time into filming people really. It's literally just inviting people in. We film them, we try to have a nice time and then see what sticks. You know, some videos do better than others and I think that's just part of it. You know, we got funding from the Arts Council to help, you know, support people and, you know, pay, pay musicians and pay lighting engineers and sound engineers and just try and keep people supported. It's not crazy money, but it, it's, it's something. But really, to be honest with you, for me, it's actually... The video at the end of it is less important, in my opinion, than the experience of doing something and coming in. Because for a lot of the people coming into film sets and videos, the amount of them that tell me they have they haven't you know done anything like any any gigs or anything like that, you know, music stuff for for months, and then that's their first sort of thing. And even though it's just uh, often like it'll be them just playing to me in the room, you know, it's. I don't know that that feeling. Seeing people come in and have a nice time and feeling a bit of an escape from the madness and a change in routine. Really, that's the most rewarding part of it. Uh, to be honest, with you, I found quite a bit of frustration with doing live streams, and that's the thing because it was like I'd spend hours sat behind my screen waiting for for uh, you know something to go wrong so you can then fix it. And so you're sat there. For, I re- remember doing a two day stream in the beginning of in the first lockdown but it was i was sat behind my computer for bloody hours and we did the virtual festival at hootenanny too which was 12 hours three days running um and yeah you do it and it's great people watching but you don't get that sort of satisfaction at the end of it you're like right oh it's finished and we've done all that work and now i'm not around any people or anything like that and that's kind of strange you know especially when you put in all this work so actually for me it's like going and having someone come in like yourself or whoever really you know coming in and just having a nice time and that human interaction and that's that's the best part about it and there is but to answer your question uh daniela yeah i mean why is it being successful uh i think just because it's a community project and people are getting involved and it's just you know we're not like it's not it doesn't have to just be you know a big name or whatever it's like people of all sorts of levels and people who've just started DJing who people have been performing for 30 years plus and we're really like a big part of the ethos is 
every kind of genre you know we can think of right you know you see your boiler rooms you keep hushes and they're really great but they're doing like a very specific type of music but we're like right if we want to do reggae one day we can if we want to do gypsy or then drum and bass or disco and then latin music or then you know folk music it's like let's do it let's just do every kind of music because there's good in every genre and let's put it put it out there as a platform yeah i think it's really it harkens back to like what you said at the beginning about why you even got into this in the first place that sense of community and that's been yeah it's kind of really heartwarming to hear the stories of you filming with these musicians who are just like really I mean that feeling of tapping back into a community of people who just still love making music and listening to music and being around each other talking about music is it's really it's really heartwarming yeah I definitely would I can kind of attest to that in the sense of like it going in and DJing it was it was like definitely a moment of like I haven't DJed for so long and like being able to kind of just go ham and go into my own little bubble and, and play and have it recorded and have people like a few people vibe to it who were there the first time and the second time you were bopping along and it, and it is definitely an outlet. And I think a lot of DJs are missing that. But the other thing I wanted to add to that. So what you were saying is I do think with projects like Hoots TV, you're given a snapshot to the DJ, London DJ scene in the music world that I think is currently being not really shown or is currently dimmed due to the circumstances. And even though like everything that's happening right now, years in the future, being able to look back on those videos and go, that's what was happening. Those were the DJs that were, although they weren't out in the clubs, these are the musics that they would have been playing. This is the kind of sound that we're kind of bubbling underneath. And I think it, in its own self, outside of COVID, I think it's a, quite an amazing thing in itself, if that makes sense. Nice one. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that you guys like it. It's yeah. been, it's kept me from going loopy. It's something to do, <laughs> to do, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that leads us to the kind of big question in a sense of like, how has you as a creative, but as, as you as a professional been affected by this pandemic? Oh, I mean, how have I been affected in, in every way, in every way, really? It, it's, it's not just a change, you know, it's not just that work stops, but I think, you know, it's from so many people I spoke to, they would share this sentiment, and I'm sure yourself included, uh, that it's when it, these events and doing this job, it's not just, it makes up a part of your personality, you know, going out to these nights and working on this day in, day out, that is it makes up a big part of you. So when all that just suddenly stops like that, um, you know, you, you, uh, you, you kind of, you feel like you lose a part of yourself. Uh, and I know a lot of people feel that way. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, everything changes. You kind of have to, you have to try adapt though and, uh, make the most of the situation trying to stay positive and it's certainly easier some days than others uh and you know don't get me wrong like uh it's some days i struggle to be productive as well even though online you know people like to put myself included look we're doing this and this and this and this and this you know and you try and you keep that look online because 
good for business. Mm. But, uh, you know, it's not always like that. Is Some days it's definitely hard. Some days it's like, fuck, what am I doing with myself today? I need to figure something out. My thing is, and I saw, I write loads of, like, stuff on Post-it notes. I've got absolutely tons of these, like, in front of me. We're just, like, all sorts of, like, do this, do that. And that writing lists, for me, is where I keep stuff from not going loopy. A hundred percent. Writing little tasks and things to do. Um, but yeah, how has it changed? How has it changed things? Going back to the question, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's affected jobs uh, for so many people. I think people don't realise it's not just the artists on stage; it's the sound engineers, lighting engineers, security, bar staff, door staff. You know, the the finance managers, the the maintenance guys. I mean, I could go on for hours and hours with the various roles and people that have lost out on work. Um, but there's a lot of people have, you know, sort of been left out the cracks. And I think people kind of don't fully realize the full extent of how many people have been severely affected. Myself and Hootenanny have actually been quite lucky in the grand scheme of things. We've, we've had, uh, arts council support. We've had some fanfare and we had a system in place beforehand, which enabled us to kind of, make something out of the situation but there was a lot of people who are not as fortunate who haven't even been able to open up during the summer with an outside space yeah you, know, you look at phonox down the road from hoots that's been closed the entire time and that's a great venue and that hasn't been able to open at all um which is heartbreaking but yeah it's it's changed absolutely everything but i mean it's got to try and adapt best we can and support one another really in terms of the funding and support that you've had from the arts council and and whatnot like was that something that you um were managed to secure quite early on in 2020 or was it like did it take quite a lag until like later on in the year that it it was started to become available and whatnot well i mean we applied we we had actually got arts council support um back in 2019 as well um because I knew where I was working at before Who's Nanny, they were getting yearly Arts Council support. So we were like, well, we should try that as well. Um, so we, we had already made a relationship with them in, before. In 2019, we had gone to speak to them, you know, made it a personal thing, uh, which I think really helped. Then when it came to COVID, because we already had a pre-existing relationship with them and, you know, they, they knew about us that I think that probably gave us an advantage. Uh, but you know, it was applying immediately and I have to give a massive, uh, shout to Sophia, who's, who's Nanny's venue owner. She has worked her ass off doing application upon application, uh, you know, spending weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, you know, refining these things. And it, it's a right schlock writing these applications. But yeah, I mean, apply as quick as she, they would apply. She would apply as quick as she could uh, uh, after the application would come out. And then you still have to wait, you know, quite a while. I think it was like nine weeks or more. Uh, I can't remember exactly how long it is, but they take quite a long time to get back to you. So you need to apply as soon as these things come out. But the you know, they announce that they're coming. And so you just got to be ready on the day and you've got to just do it as fast as you can because you're going to have to wait for the decision. And 
the thing is you could wait and wait and have done all this work and you still might not get it at the end. We're currently waiting on the next uh, grant, which we should find out, uh, I think, beginning of April or something like that. I'm not too sure. And that was that was being worked on in December, you know. But you, you know, and then if you don't, if you don't get that money, you then got to, you got to come up with another plan. But I mean, this year, the, this whole pandemic, uh, t- during this time, it's a lot of making plans and then, you know, changing them a few days later with the amount of times we're having meetings of like, right, we're going to, we need to do this, we spend the whole day all talking and trying to figure out, right, we're going to do this, blah, 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 and get everything planned out for by the end of the day, whilst you're still working on it, another new story comes out and they've changed the, the law and they've added some sort of new stipulation and everything you've just worked on for the past 48 hours goes in the bin and you start all over yeah. again. Then you create something new, and then another, and then oh no, it's a new tier. Now you've got a, you've got to set. You can't go up to the bar right now. You've got to figure out a whole new system then that you've never had for a business, and then you've got to go through all the rigmarole of that. And there's so much of that, you know. Um, it, it's been an absolute roller coaster and shitstorm. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, I, it kind of makes me kind of wonder what things have you had to put in place in order to adapt to the government like guidelines and, you know, your own kind of uh, professional concerns around the pandemic and keeping your business afloat. So what, as a venue, I think it's very fortunate that Hootenanny has the outside space, um, which can be utilised and can be, loads of people can sp- be spaced out over there. But what other things have you been able to kind of put in place and I guess, as you said, change and adapt to, um, to fit the circumstances? Well, I mean, we've had to do things like, uh, you know, table service, which is something the venue never did before, uh, which may not sound like that big of a deal, uh, but it's it's when a venue is built to run a bar in a certain way, that's a huge change. Like the thing is, even if the venue is completely full, when you know in social distance times, even if every table is full and you're constantly serving, it's still barely enough money because it's not the kind of money that a business like that is intended to make on a bar on the bar, especially with reduced serving hours. You know, when it was when we reopened, we could stay open until late during the summer. But, you know, then the, the curfew came in up until 10 p.m. And then you had to get food, you know, with your meal, which then was going to put people off even more. And then they were saying oh, it's only people from your household. Didn't matter if it was a group of six. It just had to be people you live with. You know, all these things. So how did we adapt? We just we had anything the government said that you had to do. You did it. You did it. Because if you don't, if you yeah. don't, you can't operate as a business. That is, it's as simple as that. You got to play the game, or I mean, or you're you're screwed. Yeah, you know, and it's it it's it's not pretty, and it's not necessarily how we we'd like to, you know, be doing it. But like, there's a lot. We had a sign which said, "Please no dancing." How shit is that? That sucks. They even had to have a sign like that. I hated that sign personally, but I also understood why. It had to be there, you know, because it's not worth a 10 grand fine. Because if you lose that, then that's someone who it might mean that someone has to be thought about being let go of because you've now just lost their wages, you know. So it's it's not just like, oh, it's a business taking the hit. It's it's someone's livelihood, you know. And a business like Hootenanny, some people seem to think it's like rolling in it. 
Mm-hmm. I'm, like when we did our crowdfunding, there were comments thinking that, oh yeah, the venue, why are they asking money? They're, they're all super rich. It's like, <laughs> don't, don't fucking run a venue if you want to be a big moneymaker. I tell you that now. Oh my goodness. No, I'm, it's like, you know, it's a family run business and the, you know, the, it's not like uh, no one's rolling in it. And the fact Sophia and her family, uh, they care about the staff and the business so much and the people around them. And uh, I'm so grateful to them. Um, you know, I'm speaking on the venue's behalf today, but really what that, you know, what they've done as a family is they've made all the people who work there feel like a part of their family. And it's a really, uh, it's it's a real privilege to be able to work for Hootenanny, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a real community hub. And uh, yeah, it, it's very warming being part of that community. Um, but it's... Yeah, I mean they've they've adapted they've adapted tremendously well, but it, it's people's uh, all these things, all these regulations, and all the things that the government throws at you. It's it's people's lives on the line, you know. And if it all goes wrong, it's it's the owner's home and her yeah. family and her children on the line. You know, there's so many things to think about. It's yeah. it's really hard, and it's a real slap of reality. How do you feel like? Um... Uh, and we're going to take it a little bit political here. Um, considering considering the government's handling of COVID and the the whole um, changing of regulations according to how the countries adapt, you know, um, numbers are and all that kind of stuff. How do you think they have had handled the live music sector side of things and the music industry and uh, the creative arts and theatre and all of that. Because um, I, I remember we spoke briefly about Rishi Sunak, the comment that he made, where everyone thought he said that creatives need to retrain. And a lot of people were up in arms about that. It was out of context, to be fair to him. What Like he was kind of being goaded into kind of giving an answer to a particular question and then his answer, that bit, that snippet was taken out of context slightly. He was kind of alluding that people will need to retrain, but it, it wasn't in the way that everyone had interpreted from what I've read. But um, I think a lot of people at the time were up in arms, kind of like what you were saying, this is people's livelihoods. And, and there seems to be a slight disconnect between what the government feels need to be protected and needs to be prioritised compared to, I guess, people on the ground, the live music industry, um, music artists in itself, acts, um, and everything that kind of goes with that. So I kind of wanted to get your perspective personally, but also in general about how the government's handling of coronavirus, what's your thoughts and how it's impacted you professionally and the music scene? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I think you have to say that I'm incredibly grateful and the venue is incredibly grateful for, you know, the support from the Arts Council, which ultimately the government has organised. Uh, really, they there's something which kind of put it in perspective for me is that there's plenty of other countries which have had absolutely no financial support at all. The fact that furlough even is the thing and that we've been able to apply for grants, it's certainly not a perfect system. And there's certainly a lot of, you know, gripes, which people have myself included, which are valid, but at the same time, it could also be a lot worse and there could be zero support. Um, so in that sense, I'm very grateful. Um, I mean, I think it's a it's a complex thing for for me to go into uh, in 
it's really one of those things which could be a whole you know discussion in itself i'll put it like this i wouldn't want the job of trying to sort this mess out yeah yeah uh i i i don't envy them i think it's probably a a very difficult job and no matter what decision you make you're going to piss people off and some people are going to lose uh no matter what you know a lot of this stop starting and changing and indecisive action i think has been you know has caused a lot of problems and has more negatively impacted businesses but yeah as i say on the whole grateful for the support and the fact that there's any kind of you know anything like that so it it could be it could be a lot worse mm, i think that's um a quite a good balanced perspective i think you often hear people complain about the cracks in the furlough system and the way it's impacting you know um people who let's say have been entrepreneurs and not enough they haven't been entrepreneurs for long enough or owning their own business for long enough or you know working independently as a creative to not you know count and all that kind of stuff little things that make them not qualified and i think you're right there are various ways in which we are very lucky as a country to even have these things in place um and that the, there is something like the arts council to fund and support and kind of prop up a little bit those businesses that need that extra help so um i think it is quite a good uh perspective to have there i feel like i should say you know obviously as you mentioned people who have sort of fallen between the cracks i should say that i i'm saying this is someone who i've been supported throughout this whole thing uh and Nanny has been quite lucky as a business uh so i mean i think i i'm in a position where i can sort of probably say things a bit more calmly but i totally appreciate and understand where people who have more grievances and that i know plenty of people plenty of my friends have fallen through the cracks completely and had no government support and that is that's awful you know but there's so many different situations it's i i it's hard for me to comment on them so my 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 opinion is just from our experience uh but yeah there's certainly a lot of people who need support who haven't received it and that that of course is not good so the um landscape right now there are a lot of venues that are closing i just kind of wanted to get your perspective in terms of a snapshot of what you've seen happen to the live music venues and kind of industry as a whole and where it's heading at the moment well what i've seen is a lot of people uh coming together in a way that i haven't seen before and actually in some ways you know even though we're all apart i think it's brought the events and music community together in a way that i've not experienced in my life uh and i think for a lot of people you know have an experience it's actually opened up for me to meet people that i don't think i would have met before to talk to more venues than i probably would have before and sort of you know come together um so in that way i mean that's really you know that's quite uh that's quite beautiful i think seeing people come together like that i see us adapting and just trying to make the most out of whatever we have in front of us really uh and i think there will sadly be more casualties along the way in terms of venues closing down art establishments 
musicians and you know industry people having force being forced to change industry uh, even though they've trained their whole lives in it i think there's going to be a lot more of that still to come uh, which is heartbreaking but we will get through this and on the other side we will get back to things uh, and i am confident of that because what other choice do i have what's the point in being negative about it? I can bang my head against the wall and feel frustrated all I like. It's not going to make me feel better and it's not going to make the situation better. But if I'm positive and working towards trying to get things better and we're all doing that as a community, then, you know, at least at the end of the day, we can say we tried our best. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah, I mean, the future going to be great it's gonna be sick think about that first party back it's gonna be ridiculous i'm gonna be a liability for a month probably longer that's it gotta be, gotta be positive but yeah. like i said before i'm being very positive right now it's, to people listening it's cool to have down days where you're not feeling positive i do i don't always feel this positive but yeah give out a message of positivity do you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I have a question, like, since we're on this positive um, up, up ramp, up wave. Um, so, like, in some of some other types of industries um, where, like, for example, people who w- work in an office and they have to have long commutes, etc., there's been, like, some things that have come about as a result of this that lots of people are hoping will become more normal. So, for example, the ability to work from home and this kind of stuff. Um, and I was just wondering if there are any, what are the some of the things that you guys have started to do during this time that you're like, oh, that's actually brilliant. It would be great if we continue to do that more in the future that becomes more part of our sort of like repertoire of like how we run things and and et cetera. I think the a positive thing is that it's given given us an opportunity to reset in a way and to sort of take a step back and sort of really evaluate our priorities uh, and look at what were we doing? What do we want to be when we come back? And how can we achieve the goals we want? When we come back, what's going to stay? I think Hoots TV and that sort of online thing, I, I think that would probably stay. Whether it will be in the same extent and to the same volume, I don't know. Uh, it's simply an, a time thing, really. We're hoping to, we're going to expand our team when the time is right uh, and so things are a bit more stable. And if Hoots TV can be something that continues, forevermore then that'd be great i mean we want to we're gonna film the gigs when they come back um and continue doing that i think something the most important thing that will stay though is appreciation for how fragile this all is and sort of a new sort of outlook on it and i feel like every couple months my idea of what what that means changes a bit all right for example when when like the social distance gigs came back or even before we had live music we were literally just a pub with no music the feeling of just having people around was like that did so much for me Uh, you know didn't matter if there was no music just having people in the room and like enjoying other people's company that was huge and I don't think you realize quite how much of a difference sometimes you know myself included you like to go, oh that that music wasn't quite right or oh, I didn't quite uh, blah, blah 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 we like to be negative people are negative do you know what I mean and the thing that will stick is being more appreciative of what we have and being like you know what 
Mate, my matey can't come out tonight. I'm going anyway. I'll go and yeah. buy myself. I'm going to go hug the speaker at the front. Oh, it's a gig <laughs> on a Wednesday night. Oh, I'm going to get back late and I've got to be up. Fuck it, I'm going because that might not be there tomorrow. You know? Yeah. The, those things yeah. can disappear like that. And we did not realize and we did take it for granted. We could go to gigs Monday to Sunday if we wanted to before. Um, you know that place that, oh, I really wish I'd gone there. Need to stop saying that and just go to these places. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to hear a bit more about what live music means to you. What And not just live music, DJing, music, and um, spaces where they their music is played. And I guess the importance of that, I guess, has been exposed through this pandemic. But for you personally, um, what is it, you know? I say it a lot, but... Uh, I I'll, I probably overuse this word, but I, I think for good reasons. Community, really. Music happens to be the catalyst which brings people together, but at the end of the day, it's about the people there uh, and seeing people have a nice time and seeing people sort of escape if they want to escape or, you know, if they want to come and enjoy some music. It doesn't matter why you go out for what reason, but if it makes you happy and you're having a good time, well, then that's great. You know, people have lots of different reasons for going out. Um, what does that music mean to me? It means it means my life. It means my personality. It means my friends. It means entertainment. It means it means making memories, making uh, sort of uh, life changing moments. Uh, but the key word is community, 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 uh, coming together with people and having a nice time. Uh, that is what life is about, isn't it, really? You know, just enjoying yourself. doesn't matter if you're the music nerd who wants to stand at the back with your mate and be like, oh, I didn't like that snare and that track. Oh, look at him, he didn't do a good thing. Oh, you know, cool. You want to be the geeky guy? Fine. You want to be the guy who just smokes cigarettes outside the whole night, doesn't even catch his, like, half a song the whole night cool you want to be that guy by yourself you know up at the front dancing like a loony cool be that guy want to be that person going to the bathroom with your mate every have long talking shit in there or you want to go kiss some person that you like or whatever or you just want to get really bloody drunk whatever that's all cool do that good if it makes you happy and you're not hurting anyone great all these things all these feelings community boom there you go that's my answer Bam. <laughs> no. um, I think that brings us to our last question where can people go to support and what is out there what is it for people to kind of help support their venues and um, their community as you said support locally you know uh, don't it's not just about the big places which get fanfare support the places around you because if the people around the local people aren't going to do it then no one else is so support the places around you if you can volunteer to help you know a theater or a venue or whatever whatever it's somewhere that means something to you if you have the time and you are able to contribute in some way you know write to them offer they might not take you up on it, but at least give it a go, you know, uh, and don't be disheartened if they don't take you up on it. It might just not be the right time for them or they might, you know, you know, they might just feel like, oh, no, we can't take more help from people. They might just want to, like, do it themselves, have a way of doing things. But, you know, put yourself out there. Um, if you can, there's things like the Music Venue Trust have put together amazing campaign to, to support venues. So, you know, looking at work like them, 
uh, like the music Thank venue you for trust, donating uh, if you can to crowdfunders. Although I think you know there's less people doing that now because that's sort of that was earlier on in the pandemic. But there are definitely still uh, ones you can do. You know, supporting people's online ventures where you can uh, is really important. If someone's selling merch, buy their merch. You know, doesn't need to go to a big a big store right now. Give it to you know, give it to the independent people. They need it. Pick up the phone, call your mates, call up your creative friend, your art friend who you know might be out of work right now because that phone call could make all the difference to them. You know, go for a walk. Make us make a difference locally and with the people around you. And if everyone does that, then then we're, that's going to make a big difference. The impact doesn't always need to be some big gesture. I know that sometimes myself included, you can feel like, oh, well, if what I'm doing doesn't have like this big wide effect, then is it is there any point? But if you're just helping a few people and everyone helps a few people, then everyone's going to be sorted. If we're all doing just a little bit, so just just do what you can. Look look after the people around you is is the most important thing uh really it, it's hard it's hard though it's hard though it's not uh there's not like a a clear solution to how we get out of this and fix things we just got power on through haven't we yeah all right well thank you i feel like um wow i i actually really liked the positive energy that you delivered throughout the whole time um and i think it really ties inside as i said to you before we did a previous episode on bad habits and talking about how you can build uh, not bad habits positive habits well and (laughs) and talking about how you can build positive habits throughout the pandemic and i feel like this is like a perfect also reflective point on spotlight in a specific area and bring in some kind of positivity in in the way that we can carry ourselves and move through this difficult time uh so i appreciate you kind of coming on here on valentine's day as well um and sharing your thoughts and your experience um yeah danielle do you have anything to add <laughs> danielle is like sitting there tentatively like kind of observing and taking it all in. Thank you definitely for sharing all those heartfelt um, stories and and good suggestions for how people can support each other. And yeah, I think lastly, just maybe just remind us where we can go to follow um, the online ventures and work and yeah, how we support you guys specifically. Oh, how do you support us? That's right. Well, you go to Hootenanny. Go check out Hootenanny, uh, Brixton, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all the social goodness and keep up to date with our videos five days a week. Well, we're probably putting out more than five a week at the moment, but you get five full sets a week every Wednesday to Sunday at 6 p.m. On YouTube mainly, we were doing it all on Facebook, but the Facebook police are dicks, so they mute most of the music, so we put up clips mainly now, apart from the odd set, which we can get through the Popo copyright police guys. Uh, but, yeah, Nanny Brixton. Hootenanny spelt with an A, not an E, like Jules Holland does. No, 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 with an A, the correct spelling of Hootenanny. You can catch me at Fizzy Gillespie, uh, at Fizzy Gillespie, yeah, everywhere. It's good vibes, good times, yeah, check it out. And also, I, I think the important thing is, it's not necessarily that, you know, people who can't afford to pay or support financially, like you said, there's various ways to support. Even just to follow will make a world of a difference, you know, so definitely. Like, do all that good stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Makes us happy reading comments of people enjoying stuff. A few people call up Hootenanny office and they're like, 
thank you for doing the videos. It like really got us through. It's getting, oh my God. It's really sweet. You know, yeah. had some guy call up. He got, he got to the point where I was like, oh, I've got to go now. All right. So to all the listeners out there, Max is sitting by the phone waiting for your call to tell him how much they're loving Hoops TV. <laughs> really go into detail, please. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you guys are keeping positive as well. And, you know, doing things like this uh, is great, you know, to have something that's a change routine on a Sunday morning. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's nice doing stuff like this. So thank you for asking me on today. And yeah, thank you. A nice one for doing doing stuff like this and giving people a, a platform to speak. I think it's a great thing to do. Uh, especially when we're talking about things that are important like this. Um, so nice one, guys. Big up yourselves. Hey, cheers, cheers. Thank you for um, chatting to us and for sharing your thoughts, man. It's been so good. But yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, guys. It was really nice to chat with you. Wow, that was such a great interview with Max. I was so glad that he joined us on the show. Um, Tribe, should we just should we just go over again, like some of the things that people can really do to support? All right, I think one of the things that Max really brought home was supporting locally, um, and so that doesn't necessarily mean thinking on a big scale, but just helping um, out, whether that's volunteering or contributing financially or some of the. Um, people that work in that space, finding ways in which you can support that venue when they open, you know, being there and, you know, if you feel comfortable, but various ways, GoFundMe's and whatever that venue is doing um, to keep afloat that you are able to do, support locally. Support online ventures. So that is, like we said, a lot of um, people, artists and um, venues are doing things right now online like Max, who's got the Hoot TV. I know that loads of venues have their own little kind of DJ um, pop-up recordings. Uh, or theatres have also got like um, like completely isolated but in, in their venue recordings of their shows. Um, if that means streaming or contributing slightly to um, the maintenance of that, I recommend doing so if you can yeah and also also following them like just yeah. follow them subscribe to their channel it doesn't cost that doesn't cost you anything and it's a huge it can be a huge help i mean follow us actually while you're at it and talking about following as well speak about it like if there is a venue that you know you have loads of men- memories about and really like what they do telling people about it getting them to also follow their pages as well and sharing some of the online ventures that is happening with that those pages will definitely will help those spaces uh another thing as well was buying merchandise obviously not everyone has the funds for it especially in these difficult times but if you can and if you you want to buy a hoodie why not why not buy it from the venue or your favorite band or your favorite you know artist or of any type you know actual Support in those ways will go a long way for keeping people afloat at time. And call your friends who work in the arts. Uh, a lot of people have missed their outlet right now. Things that have kept them going in life and that they, they've committed their whole lives towards and they're very passionate about. 
Um, and then not only just navigating that, but also the, the pandemic itself. So just checking in, seeing how they're doing, seeing how they're keeping their heads up. Yeah. And other things in terms of like literal financial help, like beyond sort of supporting, yeah, crowdfunding um, ventures. Also, you know, if you can buy a membership to a place um, and support them that way, like normally you can buy a membership and be able to go to the venue maybe. But like right now, if you can still afford that membership, a lot of these places are offering lots of stuff online or it's like you're going to be able to access stuff when things open up again. Yeah, I think with not knowing like what things are the ups and downs of this thing, like, you know, sometimes things open and then close again. If you bought a ticket for something, um, if you can do without that £10 because you bought the ticket for the thing, just donate it to the venue instead of asking for a refund. Oftentimes that will bring like some, yeah, that might bring something for you as well. But that can mean a huge difference to like the people who work in those venues um, if you just decide to like, yeah, donate that ticket rather than getting a refund. So yeah, um, yeah, last one is just to like, yeah, subscribe to the places that you like, just sign up to their newsletters and keep an eye out, like be the first one in line when they reopen or be the first person to respond to any call out that they that they put out there. Um, and yeah, and also follow us on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool, yeah. Um, do we have news for third? So we are working on our fifth issue, guys, and we've brought this to you despite the current climate we're living in. We are running a pre-order campaign. You can find the details of it online on our website. Donate, participate, get involved. And Rona, there's something very special about some of the photography in this um, issue, right? Because this has, this issue has come together during like where most places have been locked down or travel bans have been in place? You know, in the past, we've not always been able to do our own shoots just because, you know, we're a small magazine. We are sometimes working with lots of different people's schedules and our own. But for this issue, despite a travel ban, despite the lockdowns, every single bit of photography is third's own. So... We've done virtual shoots and everything in between to make that happen. So if you guys can support what we've done creatively, I'm really excited to share. Please do. Once again, thanks so much to our amazing guest, Max, um, who you can find on Instagram under the DJ alias Fizzy Gillespie. F-I-Z-Z-Y-G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E. Um, and yeah, follow Hootenannies, um, and follow Swing and Bass. Also, for the extended version of this show with a selection of great music, tune in on Mixcloud or on Soho Radio. Thank you again for tuning in to Third Waves and stay tuned online at Third Magazine on Instagram. That's Third with three eyes. I'm Daniela. I'm Tribe. I am Rona. <laughs>